Eco Report is a weekly public affairs program providing independent media coverage of environmental and ecological studies with a focus on local, state, and regional people, issues, and events in order to foster open discussion of human relationships with nature and the earth and to encourage you to take personal responsibility for living sustainably in the world. EcoReport is produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana and financially supported by listeners like you. Hello and welcome to EcoReport. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. For our feature today, we'll hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about the EPA delisting of a Superfund site in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That's coming up later in the program, but first, your environmental headlines. When the Ohio River floods, the majority of parks and green spaces that line its banks are unusable. But a new park in Clarksville will turn those flooding events into an attraction, making it the first climate-resilient park in the Midwest. Origin Park is an ambitious 600-acre project led by the nonprofit River Heritage Conservancy. It will encompass the falls of the Ohio State Park and Ohio River Greenway, creating an urban park that will connect three southern Indiana towns, Jeffersonville, Clarksville, and New Albany just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. River Heritage Conservancy will create 150 acres of new meadows and plant 75,000 new trees to help with urban heat island effect on land that has previously been used as a junkyard and for industrial waste. Origin Park will also feature 35 miles of park lawns, 22 miles of trails, and 4.5 miles of paddle trails. One of the highlights of the park is called the Infinity Loop, which is a 2.8-mile elevated trail that will allow visitors to walk over the river. The park is being designed by Olin, a Philadelphia-based landscape architecture studio. The studio's previous work includes J. Paul Getty Museum Center Gardens in Los Angeles and Bryant Park and Columbus Circle in New York City. Architect Lucinda Sanders, CEO and partner at Olin, said in a statement, quote, The implications for this project are huge for this region. I see this park as a place that can transform people, particularly with regard to their relationship with nature, how they interact with, think about, and become one with nature, end quote. Water volume in the Ohio River is expected to increase by 30% over the next 50 years, The river is also expected to widen in parts over the next 30 years. This has caused concern for many communities along the river. Ryan Ramsey is the president of the Clarksville Town Council. He has been working with River Heritage on Origin Park. Quote, Flooding has always been a part of life on the Ohio River, and predictions that changes in our climate will add measurably to the level and frequency of those floods make it imperative that we understand what is happening and integrate those facts into our lives. The creative and innovative design of the new Origin Park can help make that happen, end quote. 
With the election of Joe Biden comes the question of his plans for environmental policy. To define the challenges, we will list some of the environmental actions taken during the Trump administration that have direct impact on human health. In recent months, the Trump administration has stripped protections from wetlands in ways that allow for the dumping of pesticides and other pollutants directly into millions of miles of streams and other waterways. They also have relaxed rules on power plants designed to curb air emissions containing brain-damaging heavy metals such as mercury. The Trump administration altered automobile fuel efficiency standards to be less stringent allowing more emissions of carbon dioxide. The EPA rolled back requirements governing how coal-fired power plants dispose of toxic wastewater, a move expected to add increased levels of lead, arsenic, and other harmful contaminants to the environment. The EPA announced it would continue to allow the neurotoxic chemical chlorpyrifos to be used to grow food despite years of scientific research showing the pesticide damages babies' brain development. Residues of chlorpyrifos are commonly found in food consumed by young children. A USDA report released last year documented chlorpyrifos residues in raisins, peaches, mangoes, and asparagus, among other foods. Indiana is ranked among the 10 states with the worst air pollution. Thus, it will be interesting to see if the Biden administration moves to place restrictions on polluters. In the recent election, residents of Orange County, Florida, voted to amend the county charter to give rivers legal protections. Passed with 89% of the vote, the amendment applies to the Wekiva and Ikonlakachi rivers and other county waterways and grants them the right to be free of pollution and the right to exist. The amendment permits citizens to file lawsuits on behalf of the waterways to enforce those rights. The nonprofit environmental organization Speak Up Wekiva was behind the amendment, but a country charter review commission approved the final language. Chuck O'Neill, president of Speak Up Wekiva, said before the election that the amendment was imperative because of a legal imbalance between industrial pollution and waterways. The amendment will not go unchallenged. In July, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill prohibiting local governments from recognizing the legal rights of the environment. Environmental groups are appealing that bill. The U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California has ruled that genetically engineered, or GE, salmon are against the law. The court ruled that in approving GE Salmon, the Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, failed to analyze the environmental risks the salmon post to endangered wild salmon. Further, the ruling refutes the FDA's claim that it lacks the duty to protect the environment from GE animals. The court ruled that the FDA violated the National Environmental Policy Act in approving GE salmon and that the agency ignored the serious environmental consequences of approving GE salmon and of plans to grow and sell salmon commercially in the U.S. and around the world. When the FDA approved the salmon, it was the first time any government anywhere approved a commercial GE animal as food. The court ordered the FDA 
to start the approval process from the beginning. The agency must now thoroughly analyze the environmental consequences of releasing GE salmon into the wild. The environmental tasks entail the escape of the fish or their accidental release into the environment, where they could threaten wild salmon by mating with the wild species, outcompeting them for scarce resources and habitat, and introducing new diseases. Experts, including biologists at U.S. wildlife agencies, heavily criticized the FDA's approval of the fish for failing to assess the impacts of GE salmon on the wild salmon populations. Californians are pressuring their governor, Gavin Newsom, to shut down the Aliso Canyon gas storage facility in Los Angeles's San Fernando Valley. Almost exactly five years ago, SoCal Gas discovered a massive leak of methane and other toxins, and it took the company nearly four months to contain it. It was the largest gas blowout in U.S. history and was so large that it was the first gas leak ever seen from space. It drove 8,000 families from their homes and emitted 109 metric tons of climate-destroying methane and carcinogens into the surrounding low-income community. Thousands of people and pets became ill, and many died. Although the blowout is over, Aliso Canyon, the fourth largest gas storage facility in the country, still leaks methane and toxins every day, poisoning people and pets and hastening climate change. Governor Newsom has allowed the facility to increase gas use by 3,000%. Governor Newsom has the executive authority to shut down Aliso Canyon and has promised families many times that he would do so. The community thinks it's high time he acted on his promises. The U.S. is the number one generator of plastic waste in the world and as high as the number three generator of ocean plastic waste. That's the finding of a new study published in Science Advances that sought to paint a more accurate picture of the U.S. contribution to the plastic crisis. While previous studies have suggested that Asian countries are responsible for the bulk of ocean plastics, the new study upends this assumption by taking into account the plastic that the U.S. ships abroad. Quote, For years, so much of the plastic we have put into the the blue bin has been exported for recycling to countries that struggle to manage their own waste, let alone the vast amounts delivered from the United States, end quote. Lead author and professor of oceanography, Dr. Karen Law, said in a press release, quote, And when you consider how much of our plastic waste isn't actually recyclable because it is low value, contaminated, or difficult to process, it's not surprising that a lot of it ends up polluting the environment, end quote. According to the Journal of the American Medical Association, environmental hazards and climate disruption have profound impacts on women's health, especially birth outcomes. A systematic review of 57 studies that assessed outcomes for almost 33 million U.S. births found environmental hazards were associated with adverse pregnancy outcomes. Specifically, preterm birth, low birth weight, and stillbirth were linked to exposure to air pollution, ozone, heat, or some combination of the three. Exposure to air pollution was associated with poor birth outcomes in 84% of studies analyzed, 
An association between poor birth outcomes and global heating occurred in 90% of studies. 79 to 86% of studies found a link between poor birth outcomes and ozone exposure. Women at highest risk for poor birth outcomes were those with asthma and people of color, especially black women. The findings reinforce the dangers environmental hazards and climate change pose to improving the nation's appalling rates of maternal morbidity and mortality, especially among black women. The Yale University Climate Program and the George Mason University Center for Climate Change Communication surveyed over 2,000 registered voters online in late September and early October. The poll's margin for error is plus or minus 2.2% at the 95% confidence level. The pollsters found that 82% of voters, somewhat, that's 33%, or strongly, 49%, agreed that the primary goal of U.S. energy policy should be achieving 100% clean energy. Respondents were also asked to weigh in on the legislation introduced in Congress that would set the goal of achieving a 100% clean economy in the United States by the year 2050. Over 7 in 10 said they somewhat, 31%, or strongly, 40%, support such legislation. The same total percentage who said they somewhat, 32%, or strongly, 39%, support requiring electric utility companies in the United States to generate 100% of their electricity from renewable resources like wind and solar by the year 2035. Quote, the conventional wisdom has clearly changed, end quote. Anthony Lyserowitz, director of Yale's program, said in a statement about the survey results Tuesday, quote, Voters strongly support a national transition from dependence on coal, oil, and gas to renewable resources like solar and wind, end quote. The poll shows majorities of voters believe that transitioning to a 100% clean energy economy would positively impact jobs and economic growth, energy bills, and rural and farming communities in their state and communities of color in their state. A majority of respondents, 62%, also said they would be more likely to or would only vote for a candidate who supports providing a multi-trillion dollar federal economic stimulus that prioritizes investments in the clean energy infrastructure. A Harvard University study published in Science Advances has found that a minuscule rise in people's long-term exposure to air pollution is linked to an 11% rise in deaths from COVID-19. The available data only permit researchers to make correlations, and more work is necessary to confirm the connections. However, the researchers said the evidence was now significant enough that air pollution, quote, must be considered a key factor in handling coronavirus outbreaks, end quote, according to The Guardian. According to the researchers, actions to take immediately are decreasing pollution and increasing health care and the availability of personal protective equipment in the most polluted areas. Much scientific evidence points to the fact that lung health is compromised because of breathing air pollution, and that makes the coronavirus infection more lethal.
Anna Hansel, a professor at the University of Leicester, said, quote, There are plenty of good reasons to act now to reduce air pollution, which the World Health Organization already links to 7 million deaths worldwide per year, end quote. A developer proposed building an underground high-power transmission line from north-central Iowa to northeastern Illinois. It would run 220 miles along railroad rights of way from Mason City to the Mississippi River, then on to Yorkville, Illinois, near Chicago. Sue Green spokesman Steve Frankel said it would be the first link in a major project that would send clean energy to the East Coast. The initial proposal would deliver 2,000 megawatts of power from the wind and solar farms in central Iowa to the East Coast, enough power to light 1.2 million homes. Frankel says, quote, We as a nation need a national clean energy grid, and Sue Green would be the first link in what we're calling a U.S. clean energy superhighway, end quote. The story did not define Indiana's role in the plans to send power to the East Coast. Amazon, the world's biggest online retailer, announced the launch of a climate-friendly program to help customers shop for sustainable products as part of its commitment to be net carbon neutral by 2040. Customers will now see more than 25,000 products ranging from grocery, household, fashion, beauty, and personal electronics with a climate pledge-friendly label, Amazon said in a statement. Amazon is incentivizing selling partners to create sustainable products that help protect the planet for future generations, CEO Jeff Bezos said. Amazon, which delivers about 10 million items a year and has a massive transportation and data center footprint, had faced protests from environmental activists and was under pressure from its employees to take action on climate change. The company had said in June it would launch the Climate Pledge Fund, a $2 billion venture capital fund that will invest in companies across industries to help reduce the impact of climate change and support sustainable development. Last year, Bezos had pledged to make Amazon net carbon neutral by 2040, the first major corporation to announce such a goal, and to buy 100,000 electric delivery vehicles from a U.S. manufacturer. And now for our feature today, we will hear IER reporter Enrique Sands talk about the EPA delisting of a Superfund site in Fort Wayne, Indiana. What we've done during this administration is focus on the results of getting these sites cleaned up and delisted so that they can be reused by the public. It removes the environmental contamination and it provides property for for, um, local communities to redevelop or use for parks. That was EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler talking to The Federalist about the Trump administration's Superfund actions in the last four years. The EPA is touting the full and partial removal of 27 Superfund sites from a list tracking the nation's most contaminated sites as Trump administration victories, despite decades of cleanup, persistent contamination threats, and concerns expressed by local authorities. The EPA fully deleted 14 Superfund sites and partially deleted 13 sites, including three in Indiana from the National Priorities List. In Indiana, the Douglas Road Uniroyal Inc. landfill in Mishawaka, the Fort Wayne Reduction Dump, 
and the USS-led Superfund site in East Chicago were partially deleted from the MPL. But some environmental threats remain at those sites. The deletions mean specific conditions for cleanup set at the time the sites were added to the MPL have been fully or partially met. Partial deletions allow developers or investors to make money off the delisted portions of a site even as cleanup of toxic substances continues at other parts of the site. What we've done during this administration is focus on the results of getting these sites cleaned up and delisted so that they can be reused by the public. Um, it removes the environmental contamination and it provides um, property for, for um, local communities to redevelop or use for parks. The Trump administration has prioritized deleting Superfund sites from the NPL, pursuing a historic rate of deletions, while claiming them as environmental victories for the administration. In the first year of the Trump administration, the EPA deleted two sites from the NPL and partially deleted four. The EPA then deleted 18 full sites and four partial sites in 2018. In 2019, the EPA deleted 12 full sites and 15 partial sites. But the deletions, in most instances, are not due to any special action taken by the EPA to get those sites cleaned up. The deletions are the culmination of decades worth of cleanup spanning multiple presidential administrations. And another thing, the deletion of the Indiana sites does not mean the threat of contamination is over. In Fort Wayne, a dump threatens to spread contamination if climate change keeps making natural disasters more common. The Fort Wayne Reduction Dump was formerly farmland that was turned into a landfill in 1967. The dump accepted residential and industrial waste between 1967 and 1976. The dump's owners, Fort Wayne Reduction Inc., kept few records of the types of waste accepted at the site, but what is known is that waste was processed in incinerators at the site until 1970. The ashes that remained were disposed of at the site. In 1970, the company changed its name to National Recycling Corporation and dabbled in recycling, building a recycling plant that was active for about five years. The company's main operation was a solid waste landfill that accepted industrial and municipal waste, industrial liquids, and sludge. According to the EPA, the company began collecting barrels of liquid waste and dug a 40 by 60 foot pit for storage of the liquids. Drums containing chemicals of all types were brought to the dump, including some the ISBH categorized as volatile, chemical, or hazardous wastes. The drum lids would be cut off and the contents dumped into the pit, creating a pool of toxic liquids. A later EPA analysis found that the landfill had accepted more than 141,000 gallons of volatile industrial liquids, toxic 2,4-dimethylphenol, methylene chloride, arsenic, and toxic sludge. The site was added to the national priorities list in 1986 and the EPA said there was no evidence of contamination or contamination threat to the nearby Riverhaven community, although there was evidence of contaminants migrating into the Maumee River through groundwater discharge. The EPA and IDEM agreed to clean up the 35-acre site by digging up and incinerating tens of thousands of chemical-filled drums from the site and capping the entire landfill area known as OU1 and OU2. Those two landfill areas have met the cleanup objectives put in place in 1986 and were deleted from the NPL on September 30th. OU3, the groundwater portion of the site, has not been determined to meet the final cleanup goals. Now, 
Capping at the site does not eliminate contamination. It only prevents the contamination from spreading as long as the cap holds. Caps at the site were installed in 1991 and 1994 and are approaching 30 years of use. The EPA has said that in-situ caps like these are conceptually built to last forever. But the agency does not have data on how low probability events like a 500-year storm could affect them. The Fort Wayne Reduction Dump is located within the 100-year floodplain of the Maumee River. Climate change has made once rare severe weather events much more likely to happen. The U.S. Government Accountability Office found that the dump was one of 25 Superfund sites in Indiana that faced the highest flood risk. Annual Average annual precipitation in the Fort Wayne area is rising, and the risk of contamination at the dump spreading continues. And for Eco Report, I'm Sarah Callanan. And I'm Patrick Callanan. And now for our events calendar. Go hike and then share on Zoom. Nature is beckoning. Spend some time in the great outdoors, then gather with others virtually on Zoom to share your experiences from your hike. This program is being offered by the Monroe County Public Library. It will take place from 7 to 8 p.m. every other Monday on Zoom, with the next section taking place on Monday, November 16th. Register at mcpl.info calendar to attend. There will be an Elkinsville history tour at Lake Monroe on Monday, November 16th from 1 to 3.30 p.m. Meet in Story, Indiana for a combination driving and walking tour through the town that was Elkinsville. Discover the history of this town, walk its former Main Street, and find out what happened to it after the lake went in. Register at eventbrite.com slash e slash Elkinsville dash history dash tour dash tickets dash one two six seven two seven three four one eight nine one. McCormick's Creek State Park is having a program titled Forest Tales Part 1 on Saturday, November 21st from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Trees have adapted survival techniques to help them survive in different environmental conditions. McCormick's Creek has diverse habitats due to its karst topography. Meet at the Wolf Cave parking lot to take a rugged hike and learn how trees adapt to floodplain environments. Also at McCormick's Creek State Park, there will be a workshop about beavers on Sunday, November 22nd at 2 p.m. McCormick's Creek has diverse animal habitats, in part because the park borders the White River. Learn about beavers, put your knowledge to the test, and see if you can build a beaver's dam. This program will get a little messy and will be held inside the Nature Center. Spaces are limited. Register at wwilliams at dnr.in.gov. Masks are required. Join the Naturalist at Spring Mill State Park on Saturday, November 14th from 1 to 2.20 p.m. for a rugged 80-minute hike to hear about all things Spring Mill Lake. Learn about Spring Mill Lake history, Rubble Spring, the critters that call the lake home, and the lime kilns. Meet at the Lakeview Activity Center. Masks must be worn while inside the Activity Center.
And that wraps up our show for this week. Eco Report is brought to you in part by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. Found locally at 812-334-4003 and on the web at mpisolarenergy.com. This week's headlines were written by Norm Holy and Linda Green. Today's feature was produced by IER reporter Enrique Sands. David Lyman wrote the script, and Linda Green and Patrick Callanan edited it. Juliana Daly compiled the events. Patrick Callanan produced and engineered today's show. For WFHB, I'm Patrick Callanan. And I'm Sarah Callanan. And this is Eco Report.